I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 3. Puppet. Guys and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust is a large hospital based between Waterloo and London Bridge. It's also a specialist centre for cancer, cardiac, kidney, women and orthopaedic services. This was where I needed to go for my first meeting with a consultant. I set off from work. It took me about 45 minutes to get there. And off I went to the oncology department based on the first floor. Through the main doors, the main hall where there is a large canteen or a large food shop on the ground floor. And you go past that and up the stairs to the oncology department. Went into reception, gave them my name, and they told me to take a seat. Now, it's a pretty busy department. Certainly more men up there than women. And lots of couples. Definitely older couples. I found myself a nice, quiet corner. Nobody around. Perfect Sudoku territory I had my headphones on and just turned down the podcast I was listening to and just waiting for my turn those things have killed all conversation I hear somebody speak up now I'm looking around knowing full well there isn't anyone else around so he must be talking to me it was an old white guy Thick, round rim glasses. For some reason, he reminded me of somebody off a carry-on movie. Bewildered, I actually put my phone down. And before I even had a chance to introduce myself or to ask him who he was, he just carries on. Every year I come here, they find something else wrong. Now, I had a couple of choices. could just try to ignore the guy. I wasn't in a rude mood. So I thought, well, you know, I'll take the bait. Well, what's wrong then? I said in the most inquisitive voice I could muster. I'm effed, he said. You know, sometimes... Speaking to somebody who is worse off than yourself 
is a great way of taking your mind off things. So now I put even put down my, my newspaper. He had my full attention. So he tells me about himself. Everything except his name, strangely. He lives locally. He's been coming here for years. His son is a builder. And he's looking forward to looking after his grandson. And he just carried on with the small talk for about 10 minutes. And then eventually he got called. Without a see you later or a bye bye up he gets, off he goes. And you know what? I didn't even take my phone out immediately. It was almost like the minute I took it back out again, I was expecting some other old boy to tell me how unsociable I'm being. So I had a quick sneak around first before burying myself back into my phone. Eventually, my name was called. So I went into the room and sitting down was Mr. Cathcart, consultant. There was now four of us in the room. The nurse who, who brought me in, Mr. Cathcart, and another student doctor. I imagined... Mr. Cathcart, living in a three-story house, two or three kids, riding in on a Brompton bike with a white helmet. He had that look about him, that authoritative but friendly look. He sat me down and he told me about what he does and what his team does. And told me that with my elevated PSA reading... They were going to do some more tests and I had nothing to worry about. And you know what? I felt completely safe. He asked me about my family history and at the time I couldn't tell him anything. Eventually I would find out that my dad did indeed have prostate cancer and he had some radioactive seeds embedded into it. But anyway, that I would find out in the future. So I thought, this is brilliant. This is okay. And uh, started to put my jacket back on. Oh, this is easy. I can go back. And I've got the rest of the afternoon off now. And then uh, Mr. Cathcart turns to me and says, Okay, just take your clothes off and hop up on the bench for me. Well, that stopped me in my tracks. Little did I know, but I was just about to come head-to-head with the dreaded DRE, Digital Rectal Examination. This is the thing that keeps men up at night, worrying about having a prostate test. I did not see this coming at all. I imagine them laughing back at the surgery, looking at their watches, saying to themselves, yeah, he's just about to get finger-puppeted. But he's a doctor, so without too much fault, started to take my clothes off. My immediate worry was, did I have good pants on? So you know you've got you got you got the odd pair of pants. They may have a bit of a hole in them. In the scene, they're still fully usable. You don't use them out on a date. You don't use them if you. Expecting to get lucky later. These are just your pants 
And who gives us stuff? Not only that, because I woke up early today and I couldn't find my socks, I picked up the first two that looked reasonably similar. They were a mis- they were a colour mismatch, but that didn't matter. It mattered now though. For whatever odd reason it really mattered now. So I'm now naked, with the exception of my odd fitting odd matching socks. And he just says to me, just relax. And I thought, hmm, good luck with that one. You know when they say sometimes when you lose one cent, your other senses are maximised. Well, I probably lost all my senses except hearing. I heard him put on the gloves and I heard them slap on his skin like a dustbin lid on a cold concrete floor. I heard the grease, which sounded like an ocean wave as it was applied. This guy I was just smiling with was just about to take my prized virginity. So I climbed up onto the bench. Just pull your knees up to your chest. He helpfully asked me to do. There's a saying, the irresistible force paradox, meeting the immovable object. If you look it up on Google, you'll also see the shield and spear paradox, where a guy is selling a shield and says, this shield is impenetrable. And also, he's selling a spear that can penetrate anything. So there's a bit of a contradiction there. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I am the immovable object and Dr. Kafkart's arm is the irresistible force. Now, bless him, he put one hand on my hip to steady himself. It certainly wasn't steadying me or making me any more comfortable. And let's just say he was rather determined. He turned from sweet Dr. Kafkar of two seconds to that stretch person on Fantastic Four. I swear that his arm, his finger was never that long. BP, Shell, Esso, they would be they would be mad not to take him on one of their next drilling expeditions. I had no idea how far this brother got. Or he could get, but he did. And then 30 seconds later, it was all over. picked my knees off the wall because that's where they slammed into and breathed a sigh of relief before I'd even had too much chance to catch my breath Mr. Kefkar asked me do you think my junior doctor here could have a go? He probably said her name I didn't care I had no idea what it was and trying to keep the moment as light-hearted as I could, I said something that you would never say in prison. 
which was the more the merrier. And we all laughed. Well, mine was more of a nervous chuckle than anything else. So she put on her glove and she said, how much lubricant do I need? Mr. Cathcart said, oh, don't worry about lubricant. There's plenty there. I could certainly agree with that. Now, luckily, she was an attractive woman. So that made it a little bit easier. But you know, as she finger puppeted me, it was almost like walking in a field, walking in a, a meadow of lavenders. It was soft, it was gentle. Basically, anything was going to be a step up than the brutalization I just had. Just to lighten the mood, I said to her, you never even bought me dinner. And again, she laughed. Mr. Cathcart laughed. And I had another one of those nervous laughs. And then just as soon as it had started, it was apparently all over. I said to Mr. Cathcart, I don't have to be finger puppeted again, do I? And he laughed at that. I've never heard it described like that, he said, smiling. You can have that one. You can use that one. <laughs> I certainly won't be using it again. Now, there's something about the grease. I imagined it was probably the same sort of grease they used on London Underground trains. Some industrial strength grease. He told me to take some tissues and to wipe this grease off. And I must have got through about eight of them. And this grease just did not seem to want to shift. And eventually, I thought, mm, you know what? I just better do the rest of this at home. And I swear I could hear the grease swishing every time I moved. It may have just been me, but that's what it felt like, my word. So, I hopped off the bench, having been through the DRE twice now, in one day. It gave me some macabre bragging rights that I'd always be able to use in my talks later and to say to guys, listen, this thing is 30 seconds worth of discomfort. However bad you may think it will be, I had two for the price of one. So trust me, you will still have it better than I had it. It would be a couple of weeks later and I'd be back at Guy's Hospital to complete the next round of tests. So it's back up to the first floor oncology department. But this time I was seeing a nurse. I'd come for the second set of tests, the ultrasound examination, the flow test and the MRI scan. Now, the ultrasound examination... This was going to be my second experience with hospital grease. A far more pleasant experience. I just had it smeared over my stomach. And the nurse went backwards and forwards with this probe, building up this unintelligible picture that only the nurse's trained eye could decipher. After about half an hour of this, 
she was happy, I was happy, done deal. We then went on to the flow test. And after drinking a couple of cups of water and waiting a few minutes, the aim is you pee into this funnel. The machine measures the strength of your flow and also its consistency, that you're not stopping and starting. And if you are, the time between them, the strength of the stopping and starting. And um, again, very easy. The final test was onto the MRI room, magnetic resonance imaging. And this was certainly the most interesting test so far. You sit in this large white room and in the middle of it is this large cylindrical shaped machine. Before you even get there, you fill out a questionnaire. And most of it is to, is to decipher that you don't have anything metal in your body, that you didn't break a limb and had screws in, or you don't have a pacemaker. Because rest assured, as the warnings on the wall will tell you, you don't want to go anywhere near this machine if you have any metal parts inside you. In fact, there was a story, I think it was in Mexico, of a man who smuggled a gun into an MRI scan because he just never went anywhere without a gun. And it went off and killed him. I had to strip down to my underwear and was given some very fetching paper gown. And again, I was reminded the do's and don'ts of MRI etiquette. I was given some long earplugs. And then a pair of industrial type ear protectors on top of that, which I thought, really? These are the sort of earphones that you see Bob the Builder, who's digging up the road for the 10th time, wearing on the excavation. The noise in an MRI is like nothing you've heard before. It's like being strapped to the underside of a truck. You cannot have any kind of conversation in this place. So they just give you this switch and they say, in the event of an emergency and you need to get out, just press this button. Other than that, we won't hear you. In fact, it was so comfortable in this machine, I promptly fell asleep within a few minutes. And I know I must have worried the nurse because I felt some tapping and then some vigorous shaking of my foot while they were trying to wake me up. I had no problem at all, despite the noise, in having a quite a peaceful sleep. It would be another couple of weeks before I would be back again to get the results of these tests. And in the meantime, nothing to worry about. It's all going to be great. That's what I told myself anyway. It's all going to be great.